Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, I am Marlene Schwartz. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University, and I am delighted today to welcome our guest, Dr. Katie Martin, who's going to join us for this podcast. Dr. Martin is an assistant professor and director of a new undergraduate program in public health at the University of St. Joseph. She earned her PhD in nutrition science and policy from Tufts University, and her research focuses on access to healthy food and the link between food insecurity and obesity among disadvantaged communities. Thank you so much for coming, Katie. Thanks for having me. So food insecurity and obesity, uh, for a long time people talked about that as a paradox, um, but this is something you've really studied a lot. What, what is your um, thought about how those two things go together? Right. We used to think that how could you have people who don't have enough food who are experiencing hunger also be obese at the same time? It really falls into so much of the work that you do at Rudd, looking at food policies that impact the availability and affordability of healthy food, and particularly for families who are struggling to make ends meet for their families who are dealing with food insecurity, it's even more of a challenge to be able to have access and ability to afford healthy food. So what do you think we should do about the fact that we have people who are both food insecure and obese? I think part of the challenge, even though there's strong evidence showing this association that those who are most at risk for food insecurity are also most at risk for overweight and obesity, we tend to treat these two issues very much in isolation. And I think it's important when we define a problem it helps to determine what our solution is. So for example, when we define obesity as a lack of information about eating healthy, then our solution becomes telling people that they should eat more fruits and vegetables and decrease unhealthy food. If we define the problem, though, as lack of access to healthy, affordable food, that it's more about the toxic food environment, then our solution is much different. Similarly, if we define the problem of hunger and food insecurity as a lack of food, then our solution is to increase donations and pounds of food. Whereas if we look at the problem of hunger as being rooted in the underlying issues of poverty, for example, unemployment, underemployment, lack of job skills, mental health issues, high cost of housing, childcare, et cetera, then our solution needs to address those underlying issues. And I think, unfortunately, we often don't pair these two together. Right. So they have sort of been treated completely separately by separate groups, separate advocacy groups even, and not really in a coordinated way. So, you know, you mentioned kind of getting food out to people, and we do have an emergency food system here in the United States. Um, A big part of that is a network of food banks. How do you see those places fitting in, and what is the history of that system in the United States? Right. It's really timely to be thinking about this because just last week, um, House Republicans uh, voted to slash $40 billion from the food stamp program. And the history of our emergency food system of food banks, food pantries, soup kitchens really started in response to severe cuts to the food stamp program back in the early 1980s by the Reagan administration. And at that time, um, many faith-based organizations created food pantries and regional food banks, and we now have a national clearinghouse called Feeding America that helps to facilitate that work. For 30 years, we've been building and institutionalizing this system of charitable food giving. 
And yet I think what is ironic and interesting is that we've not evaluated the impact of these programs. So we've, in essence, had a 30-year intervention with zero evaluation. Wow. So when you think about it that way, it seems like it's really important to try to understand what the influence is of having things like food banks in terms of helping people make that transition from being food insecure to secure and in other ways improving their lives. And that's why I'm excited about a, a project that we've been running in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, it's called Fresh Place, and it's a different type of food pantry model. And there are three wonderful community organizations who created Fresh Place. It's Food Share, our regional food bank, the Chrysalis Center, which is a social service agency, and the Junior League of Hartford, which is a voluntary group of women. And they got together to try to develop a new type of pantry that would address the underlying issues of poverty. And I partnered with them starting in 2009 to help design the Fresh Place program and then to evaluate it. And this is the first food pantry program that's been rigorously evaluated. So what sorts of things um, have you been looking at and can you tell us some of the things that you found? Right. So um, first let me describe the, the difference between Fresh Place and traditional food pantries. So in traditional food pantries, people come and they receive a predetermined short supply of food without other support systems. And at Fresh Place, there are three main components. The first is it's a client choice pantry where people can choose their own food, the majority of which is perishable, fruits, vegetables, meat, dairy. Um, they shop with dignity, they have an appointment, so they don't wait in line. Second, they receive um, targeted referrals for other services, some of which we have on site, like Cooking Matters classes, Shopping Matters classes that are run by Share Our Strength um, to teach a budgeting and shopping on a budget. And the third, and I think most important difference between Fresh Place and traditional pantries is that when people come to Fresh Place, they meet with a project manager to create what we call a fresh start plan to identify their goals for becoming food secure and self-sufficient to really address all those other issues that create the need for emergency food. And then they meet with a project manager once a month to review those goals. He provides motivational interviewing. Uh, it's based on stages of change. It's very person-centered, non-judgmental to help people get ahead. Wow. So these are volunteers who are talking to the clients who are coming to we the food pantry. We have one paid um, project manager, and the rest of the program is run by volunteers. Wow. So what sorts of effects are you seeing from the program? So starting in 2010, we conducted a randomized control trial, and we uh, recruited people from traditional food pantries and randomized them either into the control group where they continued to go to traditional food pantries uh, versus those in the intervention group who were invited to come to Fresh Place. And we followed um, over 200 people for 18 months, measuring them quarterly. And we have really strong data showing that uh, Fresh Place members, let me say at baseline, when we first uh, surveyed our study participants, over half of the sample had what we call very low food security. And this is the most extreme condition on the food security spectrum where people are not only worrying about having enough food, but they're actually cutting back on the quality and the quantity of their food because there isn't enough money for food. Half of our study participants had very low food security. And over the course of our study, 
Fresh Place members were less than half as likely to be in this condition compared to the control group, which was really statistically significant. We also found that Fresh Place members increased their self-sufficiency, which is a measure of 10 indicators, including employment, education, uh, physical and mental health, access to health insurance, et cetera. And then also in terms of obesity, we found that Fresh Place members were significantly more likely to eat fruits and vegetables, adding an additional serving per day compared to the control group. Wow, those are really remarkable findings. And that was over just 18 months, you said. Uh, right. Wow. So in terms of um, what it would take to scale something like mm -hmm. this up, I mean, what do you think would be involved in trying to create more uh, places like Fresh Place around the country? I think in many ways, it's first a paradigm shift to think about defining the problem as not just a lack of food, but rather underlying issues of poverty. I think that's critical um, so that we really are focusing on those issues. As I mentioned, Fresh Place has one paid full-time staff member. Most food pantries around the country are run almost entirely by volunteers. But we've done a lot of work within Fresh Place to partner with other community agencies. We've partnered with um, social work students who come and get their community hours at Fresh Place to be able to provide that motivational interviewing and the follow-up case management. And I think other pantries could um, model this approach. And there is a tremendous amount of people power involved with donating and bagging charitable food. So there are food pantries in nearly every community around our country. And there are many, many volunteers who are involved in that process that I think could be reconfigured to first design pantries as client choice so that people can shop with dignity. There's less time that volunteers need to spend bagging food, and they can spend that time instead meeting with clients and talking with them about their underlying issues, building that relationship, and then also um, training a few key volunteers in what's called motivational interviewing and having the time to follow up on goals and resources within of the pantry. So when you think about it that way, it isn't really necessary for a whole new source of funding or resources to be put into the system, but rather it's changing the structure of the system. So you're working with the people who are already volunteering and you know at food pantries or at food banks and training them to take on these new roles and then actually also connecting with other agencies. I think that's a big piece of it. I think that um, we've been building this emergency food system for over 30 years, and we all feel very good about donating food and quote-unquote feeding the hungry, but many food bank directors are starting to question how long we can continue this status quo because even though we've built this elaborate system of charitable food programs, they're not efficient and they're really not effective at addressing those underlying issues of poverty and food insecurity. Our rates of food insecurity are about as high as they've ever been. And it requires a different way of thinking about the problem. And in terms of obesity, I think there are a lot of individual models of food banks and food pantries that are trying to increase the nutritional quality of food pantries. Um, our food bank food share has done, I think is ahead of the national curve in terms of increasing fruits and vegetables within their food bank. Yet, I think this requires more national leadership from 
for example, Feeding America that is the facilitator and um, the, the national agency that helps to direct donations to food banks around the country. And if we're to get smart about not just thinking about poverty, but also the link between poverty, food insecurity, and obesity, we need to be more conscientious about the food that we donate. And even though charitable food is maybe kind, it can also be toxic in that, as the Rudd Center so eloquently describes in your work, we have a toxic food environment in our country. And sadly, our food pantries have become part of that food environment. And we need to be careful to think about, even if we're we're well-meaning in trying to address the issue of hunger, we have to make the connection of the chronic diseases that are also related. I think that that's such an interesting point, and I agree with you that I think here in Connecticut we are somewhat ahead of the curve. I'm on the board of the Connecticut Food Bank, and we've done a lot in the last few years to track quite carefully the nutrition quality of the foods that we distribute, and there has been a very strong internal push to really improve the quality of the food. But we did a research study a couple years ago asking food pantry directors and food bank directors around the country how they felt about this issue. And it was decidedly mixed that some some directors feel that it is the role of the food bank to, to sort of screen the food or to have um, regulations about what type of food they would or wouldn't distribute. And others feel quite differently that you know, they don't see that as their job, or they feel that it would be just too difficult to say no to a potential donor. So I agree. I think it's a fascinating issue and so important because if you are going to be offering food to people who are by definition vulnerable, then you want to make sure what you're giving them is truly providing nutrition. And uh, I know that Feeding America is very interested in promoting more fruits and vegetables throughout the network. It would be great if there were a way that they could take the lead and provide some models, perhaps, of ways that food banks could you know, address the issue of nutrition and even go farther, as your work does, in terms of addressing the other sorts of struggles that the clients have and helping them connect up with other resources in the community. So any, any last thoughts on the future of this, what you would like to see happen? When we first met as um, community partners, Food Share, Crystal Center, Junior League, and myself, we all at the table felt very strongly that we were hoping this could be a model for replication, that this could be the type of, if we had good quantitative data to back up with evidence that this is a model that is um, creates positive outcomes and, and significant differences, that we could create a replication manual for other food pantries to use. And that is our hope, to really be able to scale up this model so that other food pantries can benefit from it. Well, I think that's a great goal, and certainly keep us posted um, on that, because I could imagine that would be a tremendous resource to places around the country. So thank you, Dr. Katie Martin, for joining us here at the Rudd Center. Uh, Again, this is Marlene Schwartz, director of the Yale Rudd Center, and you can listen to other podcasts and find other resources at our website, www.yalereddcenter.org. Thank you.